chapter, what did I say, 19? 18. 18. I've been trying to get to 19, which is the law of God. I don't know why I want to get to that one. But I thought we already talked about that before. Right? Anyway. Yeah, let's do that before we get condemned by the law. All right. Assurance of grace and salvation. So a lot of this is going to be, this is kind of the final little section about the application of, of redemption. You remember we looked at how the confession kind of moves us to, uh, it really talks about the order of salvation and things like justification, adoption, um, repentance, those things that God gives to us and then moves a little bit towards uh, the, the our end of salvation, what God does through us and how he works out our salvation through good works and um, the perseverance of the saints, that, that idea and doctrine of, man, just being able to know that there's nothing. I mean, the Bible says this. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. I keep I keep being amazed when I hear about people teaching that you can lose your salvation. I'm like, do you read the Bible? Because the Bible is very clear. Jesus said, I've never lost one that the Father has given me. And all that the Father sends to me will come to me. And all who come to me, I will never cast out. But will raise them up the last day. And then he makes that other statement. I've never lost one you've given me. No one can pluck them out of my hand. Um, and there's just so many things. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. There's just scripture after scripture that God but saves that his people. Do what? But that doesn't override your free will. It doesn't. Oh, thankfully it does. Because if it, it was all up to me, my free will, my will, which is not free but tainted by sin, then I would be lost because I would choose to be doing something else. I do choose to do something else. I choose to not believe God sometimes. I choose not to obey God. Thankfully, he doesn't unsave me or kick me out because my name's been written in the last book of life since before the foundation of the world. How can you undo that? It doesn't get undone. So anyways, and that's kind of where we get to in this chapter, the assurance of grace and salvation. And so before I read this, kind of an introduction, I know I say this a lot, but I always like to keep this before you. These guys are not writing in a vacuum. We have to go back and realize and, and be reminded they're writing these mainly to combat false teaching. So a lot of this stuff, you read it and you're like, well, why did they go to this much trouble? One thing, you know, this Puritanism uh, in this time period, people use a lot of words. And so you got to get used to that. It's very wordy. But they, they make these, they just make this round and round and round because they want to make the point. And they're trying to, but in the process, they're trying to defeat things. And one of the major things really Two major things they're fighting against. And sometimes if you know this, it kind of helps you when you're reading it. You start saying, oh, I see they're, they're fighting against it. Of course they're fighting against Rome. I mean, this is the Reformation. This is right out of the Reformation. And Rome, of course, taught, taught and still teaches there is no assurance to be had by the believer. Certain special saints can have some assurance and know that they belong to God. But it has to be special and it has to be... When God decides to do it or people do special, I don't really know all the, all the Catholic doctrine that well to, to speak on it, but I do know that they basically taught people there's no way you can be assured of your faith. I mean, that's how they took advantage of people, right? I don't know. I wouldn't be so sure if, if I were you. You might should put some more money in the plate because if you want to be sure you're saved, you need to let the priest pray for you and you know, and I would put a little more than that in if I was you. I mean, you know, it's an easy way to uh, manipulate people. And so these reformers, uh, one of the major things that the Reformation recovered was this doctrine of assurance. T 
teaching believers that, hey, you can know that you belong to God in Christ, and you can be satisfied in that. I mean, because I, if, if, if not, then that leaves us wavering and faltering, and it leaves us um, nervous, and I can't think of the right word I want to say, but, um, huh? Yeah, it does, it does kill your hope, and it takes away hope, and we'll talk about that, and the, the confession uses that word. But it, 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 nobody, I mean, nobody wants that. I mean, you know, I, I see, especially in what I do for a living now, that's where I'm try, constantly at with people is trying to, I can't convince them of their faith, but I try to convince them that their hope is in Christ and not what they've done. Because, hey, a lot of these people don't come to faith until they're, they find out they're dying. And you can say, well, that might not be real. Well, it might not be. But some people come to faith when they're forward and live to 100, and that might not be real either. So if they're not really, if, if it's not God bringing them, you know, you understand what I'm saying. They don't come, if they come to real faith, they are saved. But what I'm, point I'm making is trying to assure people is sometimes a difficult thing because of this word that I keep bringing up, and we might talk about this a little bit tonight. We, are, we have all been around so much pietistic, pietism in general, that has taught us that, hey, if, you, if you're still doing A, B, C, and D, and I'm going to go ahead and confess this, I've been this kind of preacher before, so I'm thankful that I'm not anymore. But this is the kind of stuff most of us grew up around. If you still do this, this, and that, I wouldn't be so sure you're going to heaven. You know, and, and it's, name the sin. I mean, it can be any sin. Now, the truth is, the Bible is very clear that there are, I mean, there are things and lifestyles that, as believers, shouldn't be ours. But to say, hey, you know, if you if you're if you're doing that again, then you're probably not saved. If you was born again, you wouldn't be doing that. Well, I mean, you could have said that to Paul, who said, "I'm the chief of sinners." How about David? Could he use David? Now, David had an affair, and right. he continued with that one. Right. And he murdered her husband. And he murdered her husband. And he had a child with her, did he not? Yeah. She, yeah. And God used that. She died, yeah. Solomon. I mean, all, every, just pick a character. Pick a, a Bible, a uh, Christian, you know, a, a biblical. Abraham. Yeah. Heir of the faith. I mean, you know, one of our forefathers, every one of them were scoundrels. Yeah. I mean, Jacob was a liar. Abraham was a liar. And even the New Testament, I mentioned this Sunday, every one of Jesus' closest followers denied him. I mean, it doesn't get much worse of a sin than saying, as a, as a believer, I do not know who that guy is. Don't, don't name me, don't put me in that group. I mean, it'd be like if, if we were, we pray for the persecuted church every week, if, if we were under persecution and everybody said, all right, and this has happened before and it happens a lot. I'm going to shoot everybody who's a Christian, a follower of Christ. Everybody who's a follower of Christ, get over there. If you deny Christ, get over here. Well, some of us might would go over here. I mean, let's be honest. If it's real, people are starting to get shot. I, people have asked me before, what would you do? I don't know. Let me get in that situation. I'll tell you what. I, I hope that I would go over here and say, I'm a follower of Christ. If I didn't, you know what I put me in that camp with? Every one of the disciples. I mean, that's essentially what they did. Yet, every one of them is named as they end up dying for him in his in their faith in him. 
And so I think the reformers wanted people to understand, look, Rome has been deceiving you. They've been manipulating you because you don't have any hope of assurance. And you think the only assurance you can get is from man. And so our confession is pointing out, no, there is assurance. And there is assurance of hope. And it's a great assurance and it is for the people of God because I don't think that God wants us as believers to be living our life every day like, uh, you know, let me think about what I did today before I go to sleep and hope I didn't do enough that God wouldn't accept me. And the truth is there's a lot of times I believe all of us, if we're honest, we lived under that, man, I hope the rapture don't happen before I can get home and pray because, man, I don't know if I'll be, I, don't, I might not be taken, you know. I don't want to be left behind. Or I got up in the middle of the night and thought everybody had been raptured, but me, you know, anybody ever done that before? Wake up. I'll go, I'll go look and see if my, I always thought, if my mom's in there, I'm probably okay. She, she didn't get taken, so I'm good. But I don't think that that's, you know, that's why I made such a point when I was talking about Mark 13. I don't think end times theology should frighten us and scare us. Nothing should, because no matter what God comes back and does, we're his, and we're going to be with him. I mean, it's like... Uh, the Bible says, hey, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So leave me here, and that's fine. Take me there, and I'm even better. But they're really combating that. And, and, and I, like I said, I see in my own life this pietistic, this pietism that we, we have heard so much that, okay, God saved you. And, and the gospel, here's the gospel. Now repent and believe Jesus. And now and, and go live like you believe him. But then a few months down the road, we decide, well, you're not really living the way I think you should live. So, and again, I've done this before. I've, I've stood in the pulpit and I've, I've had my understanding of what Christianity was. And mostly it's everybody needs to be like me. If y'all live like me, do the things I do, don't do the things I don't do, then you're good. If not, you probably need to, you've probably never been saved. And there's a lot of that preaching going on in church, though it wouldn't ever be said like that. You understand but I've been a part of that. You know, let's see how many times we can get people baptized and make them think they're not saved and keep, uh, yeah, yeah, keep on and keep on. Rather than trying to give people assurance and just preach the gospel, that's why we do preach the gospel to the church. The gospel is where our hope is. And let people know, hey, you don't have to live like that. In fact, look at who you are and what Christ has done. Therefore, from that, now go live. I mean, why wouldn't you live that way? You know, it would be it would be like uh, if you were playing a, a football game and the coach said, look, hey, the other team decided they're just going to stand there and let us score tonight. So who wants to score a touchdown? We're going to hand one to everybody and let you score. I got to just run. I mean, all of us say, well, yeah, if nobody's going to hit me, I mean, give me the ball. I'll, I want a touchdown. It's kind of like that. I mean, Christ has said, hey, uh, I've, God has said I've done everything through, through Christ for you. And this is how you live as a result. And, of course, we've talked about good works already and the fact that good works are really God's works working through us. We've been created in Christ Jesus under good works that we should walk in them and that we will walk in them. And that brings me to the other thing that these guys were trying to protect against, not just Rome and its false teaching of assurance or saying there is no assurance for anybody, but the other side of that, which is an antinomian, which nomian just means law. Nomia is law. So an anti-law, in other words, which I think is interesting, the next chapter is the law of God, because that was people who said, oh, man, grace is so awesome. Then let's just follow Christ, but let's live however we want to. Who cares? 
because we're no longer under the law. So we can be free and we can live like the rest of the world. And so, and if you know anything about uh, Puritanism and about the Reformers, they did not teach that. In fact, they were very strict about holiness. They really believed, hey, the people of God ought to live holy lives. But they didn't teach, if you're not living a holy life from my perspective, then you don't even know Christ. But they did teach God is holy and Christ is holy. And he's called us to holy lives and he's given us the Holy Spirit. And he works himself, his own works through us toward holiness. And so that should encourage us and not kick us down. And it also should make us realize, there, and we've talked about this a lot before. Hey, some people have been on this journey a little longer than others. But what pietism does is says, hey, everybody needs to be on the same level. You need to look at me and do like I do. But Christianity and, and the assurance of grace and salvation says, again, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It might, it might take you a lot longer. And, this, and I've told people this before. So what if you don't? know the things that other people around you know. Hey, you're just starting this journey. Just thank the Lord you're on it and see where he takes you and just know and trust he's going to get you where he wants you. You know, you can't be saved and in, in, uh, in, in all of a sudden think in two weeks you're going to know everything you need to know. everybody's supposed to be the same. Yeah, there, there's not. People have different functions within the body. And, and exactly. It's not going to be at the same level or brought to the same understanding or... Even given the same gift. Well, they're varying gifts. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, different parts of the body. And we all function for the same purpose. But, yeah, you're exactly right. So, anyways, that was a lot of introduction. But I just want to kind of put that out so you be reminded, why are they writing this? Well, they're, they are trying to put, they're trying to squash some false teaching. Huh? Big front porch there. Lots of, lots of preachers getting a little sound. Yeah, yeah. we all talked about that earlier, so I thought I'd give you some of that. All right, let's read them. It says, temporary believers, and I didn't even talk about that yet. Temporary believers and other unregenerate people may deceive themselves in vain with false hopes and fleshly presumptions that they have God's favor and salvation, but their hope will perish. So, again, Puritan, Puritan writings... A lot of times, to prove a point, they start with a negative side of it. So what they're what they're doing is saying, "All right, we're going we're going to prove that there's assurance." But at first, I want you to know there's a false assurance, and there's some people who think they have assurance and they don't. That's a false hope. It's going to die with them, and that's that's not what we're talking about. And that is biblical. There's it is very biblical. biblical. Yes, and some of the um, some some of the passages they gave here, Job eight. 13, such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. Um, his confidence will be severed, and his trust is a spider's web. Um, and I think Matthew uh, Matthew 7 is the other one which is more familiar. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do good things? We cast out demons. We did mighty works in your name. And, of course, Jesus says, I will say to them, depart from me. Uh, I never knew you. You are workers of lawlessness. And there's a lot of, for them, when they say temporary believers, you got to understand they didn't think you could be a real believer in Christ and one day not be. By then, they're thinking about like the parable where Jesus told about 
the seed that's sown on stony ground. It shot up for a minute. It was it looked like a beautiful plant. If you've ever gardened, you, you see this happen. Like, man, look at my plants. They're so gorgeous. And you come back two days later and they're wilted and brown and they're dead. And you're like, God. And that's what he's saying. There's a lot of people in the Bible, for example, who listened to Jesus and they thought, man, this is great. They saw him do miracles and they follow him. In uh, John chapter 6, a great example where he's, 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 he turned uh, what, a few loaves and a few fishes into feeding it says 5,000, but when you read uh, historical accounts, that doesn't count women and children. So it's more close to double that. Possibly 10,000 people in this big giant field, he fed with a few loaves of bread and some fishes. And these people saw this miracle. But then by the end of chapter 6, he's saying, where'd everybody go? They all left because, of course, he starts teaching about his eating his body and drinking his blood. But it's right in the middle of that where he says, nobody can come to me except the Father draw them. And so he's making this point that, and they're making this point, there are some people just like in the Bible, and I was thinking, we were talking about Simon the Magician, I think it was, who wanted the Holy Spirit because he saw the Holy Spirit. And he's like, hey, give me some of that. And then later Paul rebukes him. I think it's Paul that says, how dare you think you can buy the Holy Spirit? This is not for sale. And uh, in John chapter 2, John says there were a lot of people who were with us, but they departed from us for, because they never were of us. For had they been of us, they would have stayed. And that's what they mean by temporary believers. People that, you know, even just human logic and reason. He heaven sounds better than hell. I think I'll take heaven. But that's not a work of God in their life. And, and all of you can probably say, okay, I might not have this spectacular testimony that everybody needs to put on YouTube and it's going to get 10 million likes. But you can say there's a point in my life at some point God did something. He, ch he changed me. And I'm different. I'm doing things I wasn't doing before. I'm not doing things I was doing before. Sometimes I, obviously, lots of times, I still mess up. Sometimes I go back to the things. But for the most part, you know, I'm sitting in church in a Bible study. I would have never done that years ago. I'm coming to church every time the door's open. Nobody ever knew that that's, I would ever do that. I'm doing things that we know that God's doing. That's, that's different than a temporary believer. So when they say temporary believer, it's just what they, they mean just what, what it says next. Unregenerate people who have deceived themselves. And I like what they go on later. It's, it's in the next section, though. They use this idea of deception again. But anyways, does anybody have anything else to say about that? I want to be clear about what they're talking about. Because there can be fake believers. Hebrews chapter 6, you're teaching through Hebrews. Have you got chapter 6 yet? Not yet. Oh. Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> Hebrews six is a hard thing to grasp, and it, it's like people who've tasted and uh, I can't remember what all it says. Taste and uh, I know it says tasted the 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 word and uh, the spirit, but after they done all these things, if they fall away, it would be impossible to renew them again. Um, and again, I think that's the same idea right there: temporary believers, people that just like another place in the Bible, they like hey. Christ is doing a great thing. Let's follow him. Oh, wait, he's talking about some weird stuff. I'm not following him. But then other people, like he looks at his disciples and says, hey, where'd everybody go? They left you, sir. Well, do you want to leave too? Where else would we go? You have the words of life. You know, that came from a higher place. That didn't come from the flesh. So that makes us different than the unregenerate fleshly Temporary believers. Hey, we may have been a, at one time, maybe you were a temporary believer. Something sprung up and left. I don't know, but 
it's not talking about somebody who got saved and unsaved. Because again, the reformers did not believe that. Rome taught that, but they did not teach that. The Catholic Church taught it, they didn't. So it goes on to say, Yet those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him sincerely, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may certainly, uh, may be certainly assured in this life that they are in a state of grace. They may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and this hope will never make them ashamed. So basically, chapter uh, verse uh, section one here is just making a statement that assurance is possible, and it is biblical. So that's a that's a good thing, and there's plenty of it, it gives some more verses there. Uh, um, and like it says, if you desire to walk in all good conscience before Him, it's not saying if you please Him in everything you do. But, you know, the fact that you have a desire to please him, but you recognize you're not. I mean, again, that's of God. I want to do us right. I mean, that's what Paul said. I find in me this, this deal that's awful. I want to do us right. We say, I find this law within my parts or in my, within my members. I want to do us right, but I don't do it. I don't want to do us wrong, but that I find myself doing. And... You know, that part we understand, that battle that Galatians describes so well, the flesh and the spirit, that's a real thing. But the fact that there is a battle, it's good news, okay? The fact that you're battling with sin in your life, that's a good thing. I mean, I know that I've said this before, but whenever people want to talk to me about, I just don't know if I'm saved. I mean, I've got this sin and I can't quit doing this. I mean, I'm not God and I'm, I'm not any kind of bestower of confirmation but if you care that you're sinning against god that's a big deal i mean i don't think lost unregenerate people don't care what god thinks about their life and the fact that you do care i think that's that could possibly be a great indicator that you belong to him now again i'm not going i would rather say come to church sit under the gospel and see if the holy spirit don't give you confirmation because I can't give it, but God does, and he will. And, and I think all of us, I think all of you would agree that he's con- he, he has confirmed that in your own heart and mind and soul, and I trust that it will be um, continued to be confirmed. Let's look at what else it says. This certainty is not merely an inconclusive or likely persuasion based on a fallible hope. It is an infallible assurance of faith. Now, I said earlier they were going to come back to this idea of deception. Temporary believers can be deceived. The word infallible is a Latin word that comes from two words that means not able, not two words that mean together not able to be deceived. So infallible means unlike the temporary believers who can be deceived, our assurance is infallible. In other words, the people of God cannot be deceived. The real assurance that comes from God will not deceive you. And here's why. Because it's an assurance of faith. And we've already talked about faith um, in the previous chapter. I want, I want to read this. You don't have to turn there, but you can. Uh, where'd it go? Faith. Which one? Saving faith. 14. The very first uh, section. The grace of faith by which the elect are enabled to believe so that their souls are saved 
is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. So when we talk about faith, we're not talking about something you've done. Well, I, I okay, well, then I'm going to start believing. Now, this is the work of the Spirit of Christ in your heart. It's produced ordinarily by the Word, the ministry of the Word, and then the same ministry, uh, by this same ministry from the Word, you administer baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, and all the means appointed by God. Faith is increased and strengthened by all those things. So, when you see this, uh, man, I'm telling you, the thing clicked on the law of God again. I don't know why it wants to go there. Uh, when you see this, it says it is infallible. The insurance that we have is infallible because it's assurance of faith. That's the faith they're talking about. Faith that was given to you by the Spirit of Christ worked out in your heart. And then it goes on to say, founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel. That's a very powerful statement. We have assurance of faith because we're going to talk about this as we go on. We might not get to it tonight. It's not based, first of all, on stuff you do. Because, see, that's where pietism is wrong. Pietism say, you want to know if you're saved? Okay, well, let's look. You used to, this is how you used to live. Let's see how you live now. Oh, it's not very good. I don't look like it's much better. No, this is where we go to first. Okay. I have claimed to believe in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I have faith that the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed to me in the gospel has saved me. That's infallible. See, my works and my deeds are fallible because I could do them out of wrong motives. We've talked about this before. I could do a good deed with a wrong motive. I could do a good deed while I'm mad about doing the good deed because I'd rather be doing something else, but I see that it's a good deed. I need to go do it because nobody else is going to do it. I did that yesterday. I jumped, yeah. I jumped off somebody's car. I tried to avoid it. I seen they were having trouble. Somebody else was helping them. I had somewhere to be. I didn't want to do it. But then nobody had what they needed to help her. So I, I stopped, pulled up my truck over, and I'm not pointing this out because I do good things. I'm, I'm admitting the whole time I'm thinking I need to be somewhere else, but I got to do this because nobody's. if this is my wife, I'd hope somebody would pull over and help. And I was already standing there, so I did. But, you know, the point being, those things are fallible. We can do what's right and it be sinful, believe it or not. <laughs> and, but... The, the, the fact that I'm not looking at my good deeds, at least not first and foremost, when I want assurance, and I find myself doing this a lot, because sometimes I think, Lord, I, I don't know. Am I saved? Because why am I thinking about this? I'm thinking in a wrong way. I want to be doing something else that ain't right. And then I, this is what I do. I have to go back. Okay, why, am, why do I believe I'm saved? I believe I'm saved because... Christ in his righteousness shed his blood on the cross and died in my place, took my place, took the wrath of God. By his stripes, I've been healed. I've been made whole. I'm forgiven. God doesn't look at me and what I do. He looks at his son and what he has done in my behalf. And that helps me to say, okay, well, I, I can't be going to hell and believe that. When the Bible says even the devils believe and tremble, they don't believe that. If they believe that that they'd be saved. They wouldn't be going. They wouldn't be the devils of hell. So we have to be careful when James is making that statement. We use that sometimes. Oh, you say you believe? Well, even the devils believe. That ain't nothing. Oh, it is something because it's what you believe. You don't just believe there is a God because that's what most. Oh, when I'm talking to people, 
Well, tell me about your faith. Oh, I believe there's a God. Okay, well, what do you believe about that God? What do you believe that God has done for you or done for people, his people? Because I do believe the devil, the devil and the angels believe there is a God. They believe that he has a son, Jesus. They believe he, he, he did die on the cross. Did they believe that everything, I don't know how much they understand. We're not told. I believe they knew something. And, yeah. 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 Well, they knew that part. But I'm just saying, I don't know that they understand, just like the Bible says, even the angels in heaven desire to look into what we well, I have. Think, I think hundreds yeah. people believe that. Yeah. I think they can believe, okay, there's a God, there's a heaven, there's a hell. I don't want to go to hell, so all their good things go right. to church. They believe as much as demons can. That's right. But not this right here. No, they can't believe this. Yeah. And it, and it goes on to say, and another thing, it's built on the inward evidence of those graces of the spirit about which promises are made. In other words, when Christ said, I'm going to go away and leave you, but there's one coming after me, a helper who will teach you all things. That's the spirit about whose promises, which these promises are made. And those graces, there is an inward um, identification. Like God said, like the Bible says, his spirit will make intercession with us and uh, teach us that we belong to him. And then we can cry out, Abba, Father, because we know that we belong to him. Something that no preacher can convince you of. You know, that's why I don't do that kind of counseling. I don't, I, if, if I talk to somebody about salvation, I talk to them about this, about the gospel and what Jesus has done. Not about, I can't, I'm not going to try to make you a temporary false believer and give you a false hope by promising you stuff. All I can say is this is what God has said. He has sent his son because he loved the world. He so loved the world that he sent him. That whosoever believes in him will never perish. But what do you believe about him? Do you believe everything about him or do you just believe what? And so if that's the truth, and again, this is what I would say to people, then now find a church that teaches this, come to our church and sit there and be taught and see if God doesn't identify with your spirit and make you have assurance. That's what we need. Sometimes people are so excited when they first get saved and they run off and they want to do everything, which is not a bad thing. But again, stop and, and be taught and, and see where that gets you. It usually gets you a good place. And also, there's no better way to find out who's a temporary false believer than them sitting under the preaching of the gospel. Because eventually they'll say, well, I don't even want to hear this anymore. Or they'll be in line and say, yes. Or I didn't believe that, but I want to believe that. Because God, again, as we said about faith, the Spirit of Christ will identify that Jesus died for you. Um, that's why I don't, you know, I try to be careful and not tell everybody God loves you. That's not necessarily true. It's not wrong to say God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I don't, it's not necessarily sinful because if I'm talking to a room full of people, it's a good chance that there's people in there who, Jesus died for and God loves them. But I think it's more accurate to just talk about the gospel because that's what it says. It didn't say God so loved every one of you that he sent his son. It says he so loved the world. Of course, there's see what John means by the world. Um, I think he meant everybody, not just the Jews. He loved all kinds of people everywhere. 
in, in every kind of race and uh, outside of Jerusalem and all over the globe. Therefore, whoever believes in him will not perish. Anyways, uh, I forgot time for us to go. It's further based on the testimony of the spirit of adoption. I kind of already said that. Witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God. And then as a fruit of this assurance, our hearts are kept both humble and holy. Now that's a big deal. Because, what does it say? 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what kind of, or behold what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. It keeps on going, but we know some other things that disappeared on me. But we know that we shall... But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Yes. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Yes. And that's a lot of hope. And that's a lot of assurance. Because as a fruit of assurance, our hearts are kept humble and holy. And that's a good thing because we need to be kept humble. It's one of the things that I believe that when you're really saved and you know Christ, and you understand this at all, the last thing you can do is be prideful and boastful. As if you did something to get it. You know, a lot of times people who teach the doctrines of grace were accused of being braggadocious and smug. And I'm thinking, if anybody should not be smug, it should be the people who understand the doctrines of grace. Because right off the bat, you got to understand depravity and recognize that uh, as Paul said, he's the chief of sinners. Like, I don't know about that. I wasn't born at that time when he said that. So, uh, but I also recognize that I have nothing to boast about except Christ and crucified, right? Just like Paul said. So, all right, I, I'm going to slow down right there because we got about five minutes, and and we did get through the first two. So, uh, Lord willing, next Wednesday we'll look at these last couple. Um, does anybody want to say anything else or ask any other questions? Oh, they, they quote Hebrews 6 right there. Yeah, three different verses, I think, three or four. But it's amazing that within that, Hebrews 6 is talking about hope and assurance. Mm -hmm. I've never seen that before. As we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So even in that context of temporary believers in the scriptures, it's telling us about hope and assurance. So. Anyway, this is a beautiful doctrine. And, and I want you all to know that. I want you to have assurance. I want you to be confident, not in yourself, but in Christ. I mean, that's what we are called to. All right. Great. I left a little bit after the introduction. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for all that you do for us and um, all you've already done for us. And we thank you for all that Christ is. Um, and we rejoice in him and hope in him. And I pray that you would assure our hearts and give us the hope that belongs to your people. Um, and uh, always steer us away from our works and ourselves and our wills, things that, can, uh, that are definitely uh, tainted by sin. And just give us this great assurance that we're learning about. 
the assurance of hope because of the faith that you've given to us to believe. And we are faithful of the one that we believe is able to keep that which we have committed against him to that day. And so we praise you for that. In Jesus we pray this. Amen.